escapingthecave.com, also on the ChristopherMedia.net network, and at ETC Pod on Twitter. My mom says it won't last. Your mom's an alcoholic. Oh, yeah. Escaping the cave. And I'm getting really sick of guys named Todd. That's Todd, Todd Zilla. Todd Zilla X Pod. Todd Zilla Files. Welcome to another episode of Escaping the Cave, the Todd Zilla X Pod, ChristopherMedia.net. That is the network. You can also hit my website up at escapingthecave.com. Edit ETZ Pod on Twitter. Oh, down to six people I'm following now. Maybe you'll be one of the special ones. It's a goal. It's a life goal. It's good to have life goals. Find a better one. <laughs> Hope you're having a good week. It is Saturday. I rarely do uh, Sunday podcasts. I think this one's going to be released on uh, Sunday the 28th. It's late Saturday night, early Sunday morning right now. And I'm going to jump right into this. I've been threatening you with a deep dive into this Jockaloo propaganda book. I'm going to start that today. A lot going on in the news, though. Uh, Trump got his um, Supreme Court ruling in favor of at least temporarily using Defense Department funds for the border wall. A huge victory for him. You're going to hear about this in the the upcoming campaign. (laughs) And I was watching the CNN yesterday. I don't know why. I really don't. But I watched because I wanted to see what they were saying. I kind of started, I've been watching the, uh, the news networks sort of as a case study, almost like a, a Petri dish, to see and watch the spin. With a little bit uh, you know, more refined eye. My, my eye's been pretty well refined for years, uh, as far as the stuff goes, pretty well, <laughs> with a couple of lapses. But uh, it's been really interesting to watch this stuff, flipping between MSNBC, CNN, and then Fox News, to see how the different... Events, the different facts are spun and portrayed as propaganda. It's exactly what it is. You call it spin. Spin and propaganda are the same things, you see. Anyway, uh, they were talking about the uh, Supreme Court ruling yesterday. They had a Republican on there that says, this is a huge victory for Donald Trump. He's going to reap the benefits of this. He kept his campaign promise. He's been fighting to build the wall, and his base is going to love him for it. And he's right. Everybody acknowledged that, even the Democrat who was on there. <laughs> this woman. And it was, it was hilarious. I've talked to you about slogans. I've talked to you about euphemisms. And she immediately, right after she acknowledged that this was an obvious uh, victory for Donald Trump, she started barking out, children in cages, children in cages. She said it three times in two sentences. Immediately after that, she had to go uh, back to the prefabricated slogan, the visceral image, to put into the loyalists' head, to remind them that they need to be outraged about something. Children in cages. I was waiting for the concentration camps. Bark. Didn't get it. To her credit. Very small credit. Credit nonetheless. And children in cages. Children, are they really in cages? Or are you just addicted to the visceral erection? The outrage hard-on you get by picturing little cute children in cages. That is the essence, the power of the propaganda slogan, the cheap, pithy slogan, children in cages. 
That is a textbook example. It's not the only one, and yes, I could find some from Trump, too. Yeah, why don't you talk about Because you're, you're supposed to be better. You're supposed to be the alternative to that. And you're failing miserably. That's why I'm focusing on you. You're supposed to be better. You're supposed to provide an alternative to that. And you're not. Your propaganda is just as deep and sticky as Mr. Trump's. Children in cages. Oh, but they're concentration camps. I saw Moonbeam. <laughs> I've been stalking her page. She's like the poster child now for me. For people whose minds have gone wrong, have been polluted and corrupted by their religious doctrine, their politically religious ideology. She's the poster child. So I go stalk her page now because <laughs> she posts everything publicly because she has to have everybody see it. Her 1,500 friends aren't enough got to be out there for everybody to see so i go look i consider that sort of an engraved invitation todd come and see what i'm writing and what i'm posting come and come and feast upon my propaganda i'm sorry my public relations she is in the public relations field you see <laughs> it's too rich it's just it's great anyway she posted something up there somebody had put together a google map of concentration camps at the border. This woman is a journalist. She is a trained journalist. And she's posting things on her Facebook page. She's a working journalist, by the way, I think. In Lansing. And she's posting things like concentration camps at the border. Are they really concentrated? We all know what concentration camps are. We have an agreed upon definition of what a concentration camp is. The, the mental image, we all have it. We've all come to the same place with it. It involves ovens. It involves mass graves and barracks and skinny people, emaciated, starved people dying because they're being starved and worked. To death, our bite mocked fry. Work will make you free. Are they toiling in the granite pits? Are they really concentration camps, Moonbeam? Are they really? Are you sure? And you consider yourself a journalist. I did an entire podcast. Go listen to it. Agenda plus uh, journalism equals propaganda. But I work in public relations. Oh, well, hey, where did the word public relations come from? Oh, the word propaganda was soiled by the Germans in World War I. So Mr. Bernays came up with the title public fucking relations. You are literally a propagandist. But that just violates your sensibilities. You're so drunk on the euphemism. I'm in public relations. I'm not in propaganda. I'm drunk. I'm drunk on the euphemism. Kiss my ass. We're awash in this shit. That's why I'm so obsessed with it. We can't even see it anymore. Well, you can't even see it anymore. I see it pretty well. <laughs> so I'm going to show it to you. What do you think of that? Anyway, we'll be hearing about that. I, uh, my understanding is that some lower courts can do some other things with the wall. But as of right now, he has temporary approval to siphon money from the Defense Department to build his damn wall. And uh, there's a question whether or not he's doing it or not. Uh, most people say that he's just sort of fixing up and 
putting drywall, I guess, on existing fencing. Uh, but there's that. Uh, the Mueller report came out last week, and then, um, you know, Mueller sort of gave, uh, what was it Blumenthal said? <laughs> oh, yeah. He said that Mueller was the modern-day Paul Revere. The hackers are coming. The hackers are coming. Russian interference. Robert Mueller's horse-riding days are done. He is nothing like Paul Revere. Maybe Mr. Magoo. Anyway, uh, after that, apparently the Democrats put forth some bill. I, again, I didn't read up on this. Just the cliff notes. It was supposedly a bipartisan report. They put, put out a bipartisan report on security. Uh, Senate Intel report, something down that line. Put forth a security bill that was promptly blocked by Mitch McConnell and his cohorts in Trumpistan. It's not very good optics here, huh? Nobody's belching about collusion. They're belching about the, the threat to the election that's ongoing. It's never went away. It's never been addressed. The, 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 the attack that we sustained in 2016, the disinformation attack on uh, social media coming from Russia, nothing's been done about it. It's continuing now, you see. And it's going to continue later. So they put forth a bill. Hey, why don't we do something about this? And Mitch is like, nah, nah, we're good. We'll leave it to the states to take care of it. Now it's not a federal government thing. <sighs> what the fuck? What the entire fuck? Can you explain this to me? Can anybody explain this to me? What's the fucking problem here? I, I already know what the fucking problem is here because you can't acknowledge if you're a Republican, if you're in Trumpistan, you cannot acknowledge as a Trump towner that any significant interference took place in 2016 because then it delegitimizes the election. He already lost the popular fucking vote. So that just puts the rest of his election in doubt. You can't do it. And you know what? They probably want the help. The narrative has changed over the last few years. Now they're saying that Putin and uh, this whole campaign in 2016 was to help Donald Trump in his election. To get him specifically elected because they didn't like Hillary. Right? That's changed. I am not convinced that the new narrative is the proper one. I'm still sort of dwelling on the old one about agitating both sides against each other. The destabilizing effect of agitation propaganda. Get us at each other's throats. Destabilize from within. So we are effectively paralyzed. That was the old narrative. They, they said they were targeting both Republicans and Democrats in 2016. Right? Just to get us at each other's throats. I think that's probably what's going on. Probably going to happen next year as well. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we will definitely see because <laughs> they're not going to do a fucking thing about it. Nothing's going to happen. <laughs> I don't understand it. Well, again, no, I can't say that. I want to say that. I, I, I want to think and come from a place. I just don't understand. I don't want to go there intellectually, cognitively, cynically to the obvious point of why this is happening. The obvious explanation just hurts. It stinks. It's, it gives me cramps. I need some pampering when I think about things like that. 
But that's got to be it. Mitch McConnell's no fool. He looks like Tippy fucking Turtle, but he's no fool. He knows what he's doing. And he he knows that some of the things that I'm going to get into today are in play and will insulate him from anybody in Trump Town lining up at the punch bowl seeing what it really is. Nobody's going to see it because they don't want to see it. States' rights, individuality, small government. I wish that were beer I were drinking. (laughs) You don't want that. Anyway, uh, I think Chris and Rich are going to sit in with me, hopefully this week, and we will deep dive, I'm sure, into all of that. That's pretty much all I'm going to say about any of this stuff. Anything else that I have written down here for the last few days? Social media disinformation campaign. (laughs) Propaganda. Jackasses. Uh, the hack and dump stuff, domestic actors. Oh, propagandas and uh, influencers here in the United States also doing the same things as the Russians are. See, this is the thing that really kills me. One of the things that really kills me about this is that we have people here domestically, these social media influencers, who are essentially putting out the same disinformation tactics, the same psychological mind-fucking as... (laughs) anybody in the Ukraine, they're doing the same thing within our borders, but we just call it free speech. This will all come back eventually. <sighs> to It's the people. It's us. We are not sophisticated enough media consumers. We are making ourselves vulnerable to this shit. If we weren't vulnerable to it, if we were more concerned about external truth and tending, minding the fence of our own mind so it couldn't be ejaculated into whenever anybody wants, just simply because it feels good and it's good for our team. If we were immune to that, none of this would be possible. If we were even interested in being immune to this, it would be far less effective than it is. Uh, The social media influencer thing, that's a big deal. People don't pay attention to it. It's just Twitter. (laughs) It's just YouTube. (laughs) That's a big deal. Putting out shit, whatever shit you want to hear, We'll tell you any shit you want to hear, as Howard Beale once said. That's a little foreshadowing for you. But be careful of that. Follow the money. Follow the followers. Follow follow the branding. For the love of fuck, if you're t- if you're following a guy who has two hundred and fifty thousand followers, and you're hanging on every word he says, <sighs> critical thing is he giving you what you want? Is he just putting out a goddamn product? That you'll eat up like a fucking Twinkie. Is he tethered to truth at all? Or is he just just milking you and milking you and milking you for the clicks? For the likes? For the retweets? For the status of his follower number? Which is it? Have you even asked yourself that? I know some of you have. Most of you haven't. 
Oh, I just like I like what he has to say. He he speaks for me. <sighs> Why can't you speak for yourself? Foreshadowing again. When I came back to the United States, I decided that if you could use propaganda for war, you could certainly use it for peace. And propaganda got to be a bad word because of the Germans using it. So what I did was to try to find some other words. So we found the word Council on Public Relations. We're in a lot of trouble because you people and 62 million other Americans are listening to me right now because less than 3% of you people read books because the only truth you know is what you get over this tube. Right now, there is a whole, an entire generation that never knew anything that didn't come out of this tube. This is the gospel, the ultimate revelation. This can make or break presidents, popes, Prime Ministers, this is the most awesome goddamn force in the whole godless world. And woe is us if it ever falls into the hands of the wrong people. And that's why, woe is us, that's why, woe is us. Facebook is an idealistic, is an idealistic and optimistic company. People really forming these tribal identities on Facebook, where you will see people getting into big fights. Or to spread misinformation. Spread misinformation. When the largest company in the world controls the most awesome goddamn propaganda force in the whole godless world, who knows what shit will be peddled for truth. Welch drove all the way from North Carolina to self-investigate Pizzagate. Self-investigate Pizzagate. Listen to me. Listen to me. This is a goddamn amusement park. The circus, a carnival, a traveling troupe of acrobats, storytellers, dancers, singers, jugglers, sideshow freaks, lion tamers, and football players. We're in the boredom-killing business. May I tell you something about your something about yourself? You are well above average education and intelligence. And you have one characteristic that's rather encouraging to me. You are not easily persuaded by advertising. How skies will be to get and keep in action. Well, if you want the truth, that ain't working. Go to God. Go to your guru. Go to yourself. Because that's the only place you're ever going to find any real truth. But man, you're never going to get any truth from us. We'll tell you any shit you want to hear. We deal in illusions, man. None of it is true. But you people sit there day after day, night after night, all ages, colors, creeds. We're all you know. 
You're beginning to believe the illusions we're spinning here. You're beginning to think that the tube is reality and that your own lives are unreal. You do whatever the tube tells you. You dress like the tube. You ate like the tube. You raise your children like the tube. You even think like the tube. This is mass madness, you maniacs. In God's name, you people are the real thing. We are the illusion. We are the illusion. Turn them off now. Turn them off right now. Turn them off and leave them off. Turn them off right in the middle of the sentence I'm speaking to you now. Turn them off. Look at that. Look at that. I need to point out, when he's talking about the tube, the reason I put that in there, that movie from like 1976, he was talking about television that still applies to this medium. You're listening to me on right now. This is the new tube. You get everything from here, man. This is where political discourse happens now. It's where you get your information from. Places like Facebook. And it's all spun, man. Almost all of it is spun. It's spin of some sort, trying to hijack your goddamn mind. I'm going to lay this out for you. And all this material, most of the material, that I'm going to use is at least 48 49 years old. Something like that. 44 years old. 54 years old. I can't do the math. It was written in 1965. I've also got some stuff from Edward Bernays that's going to terrify you that was written in like 1929. Edward Bernays was the guy at the beginning of the clip. He took the word propaganda. Loved the idea of it. Loved what it could do for advertising. He saw how propaganda could be used to sway public opinion to support World War I. He also saw how the Germans used propaganda. The problem was that we saw how the Germans used propaganda during the war as well. Actually called it propaganda. So people here in the United States and in the Allied countries knew what propaganda was. And they had a very, very, very high level of distaste for it. Right? So propaganda wasn't going to work here in the United States. So you know what he did? He said it right in that clip. Had to create a new phrase. Had to, had to rebrand what propaganda was. He had to create an Xfinity out of Comcast. That's all it was, man. Changed the name. Same exact thing. And he called it public relations. When you go to college... Some, some of your, maybe some of you have kids, or maybe you know somebody else's kids who have considered going into the public relations business. They're follow, following in Joseph Goebbels' footsteps. Oh, but I'm doing it for a, it doesn't matter if you're doing it for a corporation or for a, for a nice upstanding company. Doesn't matter. It's the same goddamn thing. It's mind fucking. That's it. We're awash in it now. And the stuff that I'm going to talk about was based on a society that was completely different from this one. It was not connected like this in 1965. He was studying newspapers. He was studying broadcast television. Radio was a big deal back then. 
and he could still see the effects even from those primitive by our standards mediums what propaganda could do to people and what's terrifying to me so i figured i'd just find some principles in there right it mirrors everything we're seeing today absolutely everything the predictions are there I'll get to that right off the bat here in just a minute. But everything he talked about in 1965 is present and heightened in today's society. It's terrifying how accurate this shit is. And it's even more terrifying to think, 54 years later, how far propaganda has come and how far technology has come. Propaganda cannot exist without mass media. A nationwide propaganda campaign cannot exist without mass media. That's one of the imperatives that has to be able to reach a wide swath of people. And imagine, just think, just for a second, how much more connected we are now than we were in 1965. That should terrify you. They can make specific plans of psychological attack possible. There are different kinds of propaganda. There's agitation propaganda. If you're not unconscious, if you're not in a conscious coma, will terrify the hell out of you. Because that's what we're swimming in right now. And it's coming from two different directions directed at different factions within the same country. Its primary objective is to trigger hatred. To unleash the primal beast to scrape the thin veneer of civilization away and unleash the worst parts of our nature. Look, maybe you look in the mirror and you see a divine creature. Maybe you look at humanity and you see something divine. Maybe you're a, maybe you're one of those humanist types. I think we're all just good. And kind. The fact of the matter is, and they know this, people know this, people know you better than you know yourselves. The simple fact of the matter is, I talked about the Revelation parable in the last podcast. Each of us have in us somewhere some degree of an urge to hate the other. And agitation propaganda goes directly to that DNA strand. It demonizes the other makes them evil while we, oh, we, oh, we're awesome. But those people, oh my God, they want to destroy society. Oh, they're terrible. Interlopers, outslanders, outsiders, outgroup. There are so many words for it. But agitation propaganda is the propaganda of disruption from an external source. It's used by governments to target an enemy an enemy population from within. We did it. <laughs> we did it to the Germans. We, did it, we do it to a lot of people. We did it in Guatemala before United Fruit. We've done it. It's disruptive. It's also the propaganda of revolution. To disrupt and, and erode trust and belief in your own country. It makes you susceptible. It, for one thing, it makes you not want to get involved if, you, if you're, the, the connection you have with your country is taken away, if it's ripped out of your hands, why would you fight for it? If you don't believe it, if you don't trust it, is it worth fighting for? That's one of the effects of agitation propaganda. 
But the primary one that terrifies me the most, and it goes back to what I, what I was talking about at the outset of the resurrection of this podcast a couple of months ago, is the hatred of each other. And it's fueled, fueled by every outlet you can find. Flip between three channels on your cable TV subscription, and you can see it immediately. If you're on Twitter, just leave the bubble, man, and go see how much they hate you. It's at least as much as you hate them. This is being generated, orchestrated. I'm convinced of it. It's too perfect. It matches everything that I have read in this book and a couple of others from 54 years ago. It, 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 is that a coincidence? Is it really? Do you believe in coincidences of that type? I don't think so. And as I said in the open, part of the problem is, is that we do not care. But, again, going back to what I'm going to get into at some point, you like it. And you love it. You can't live without it. It feels good. It's addicting. The self-righteousness, the moral certitude that you are in a battle for a cause greater than yourself against evil is addicting. You are on the side of God, with God on your side. I don't care if you believe in God or not. It's the same. Damn. Psychology. You are on God's side while they are servants of Satan. Could it be Satan? So anyway, let's get moving on this. I um, talked, uh, oh God, it's been probably a month now, <laughs> about the clear effects of propaganda. This is uh, not from propaganda. This is Jacques Ellul, but it's from his subsequent book, I think, or maybe it's the one before it. Yeah, I don't know. doesn't matter. Uh, it's called The Technological Society. An excellent book in and of itself. In fact, I think that one is more famous than the one that I'm currently obsessed with. Uh, but I took a few things out of it because he seemed to have distilled a lot of the uh, highlights and themes from propaganda and put it into relatively, <laughs> relatively speaking, concise terms, but not really. There's a lot here. And I, as I said, this stuff is complex. Specific plans of psychological attack, the course of action, the rhetoric, all that must be adaptable. It's got to be tailored to general methods, though, that can be deployed, and they are being deployed. I mean, Bernays, Goebbels, Madison Avenue, these are all, uh, there are all sorts of research and data to pick from. They've used it. It's been around. It's been around for, well, as far as mass media goes, 100 years. They've got 100 years of experience now to pick and choose from. Think about this for just a second. Why do you think Facebook's data is so important to them? And why do you suppose the algorithms they use to decide what to put in front of you, why do you think they're secret? Do you really think it's just because they don't want anybody else to use them? Or they don't want you to know how they're, they're mind-fucking you, manipulating your wants, your emotions, propagandizing you, steering you into a course of action without you knowing it. This is psychological exploitation methodology. This is elephant crack. 
Algorithms are little more than automated mind fuckings. Getting you to behave how they want you to. It's one of the tenets of propaganda. It's not just to convince people or sell people on an idea. It's to push them into a specific intended action. In the political field, it's to make proselytes and militants, activists. In advertising, it's to get you to buy something. And in this day and age, it's to get you to click on something. Manipulating you into a preordained, specific, acceptable action. Algorithms, social media, all this stuff, everything online now. These are the same principles at work just brought in to the digital age. Some of the facts of propaganda. Oh, boy. (laughs) This was written in 1965, and he says, It was only fair to wonder what consequences these propagandistic manipulations will have moving forward. They'd already seen some of them. But he was openly wondering what this was going to look like moving, moving forward. He said the real consequences are not discernible because the mechanisms in 1965 have been operating for far too short of a time. Then, and then he says, this is, this is really creepy, and it's a common thread. Of course, when the consequences finally appear, we still will not recognize them. Do you recognize propaganda today? Before me beating it into your head, loyal listener, would you recognize it? Would you consider propaganda propaganda, or are you just staying informed? Are you the current events man that he talks about, chasing down every piece of data he can find? Nicholas Carr also talks about this. So did Dr. Eli, horizontal surfing. Click, 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 click. You're addicted to information. You're addicted to the data. You think you're learning. You think you're, you're staying informed. But you know a little bit about nothing. A little bit about everything and a lot of nothing. You'll have been so absorbed and manipulated, he said, that uh, rendered so indifferent objective knowledge in the field of propaganda on how it's affecting us will be impossible. So absorbed and manipulated, rendered so indifferent that objective knowledge on the score will be impossible. Worth repeating, we will no longer even have any idea of what men might once have been. This is another reason that I've gone back to 1965 and that I'm reading stuff from 1929. These are analog men. These are, (laughs) in relation to we cyborgs, these are organic human beings, far more than we are. It gives us a glimpse from their perspective of what people were like before they were technologicalized, turned into Borgs. He says some of the facts of propaganda, however, are already clear. The first one I have here is the critical faculty. That is critical thought. Critical thought has been suppressed by the creation of collective passions. Critical thought has been suppressed by the creation of collective passions. That's groupthink. That's the mob mentality. Joining the crowd. A group. Ideology, a church, a congregation. You are part of a larger organism. You're part of something bigger than yourself. That means your critical thought is gone. You are no longer an individual. You are no longer a man. You are a cell inside of a larger organism. You are no longer an individual. 
He uses a guy named Monaro repeatedly throughout this book. He quotes him here. He says, There is no such thing as a collective critical faculty. There is no such thing as collective critical thought. As soon as you become part of a group, a cohesive group, bound by orthodoxy or doctrine, critical thought is dead. I know you think it's not, but you know what? Most of the time, I have a lot on this. What you think is critical thought is a clever verbal repackaging of a doctrine or rationalizing the doctrine. This is Haidt, Jonathan Haidt, an emotive conclusion, an adoption of a doctrine. And what you mistake as reason, as critical thought, is really rationalization to support the emotive conclusion or judgment. Uh, There is no such thing. I'm going to beat this into your damn head. There is no such thing as collective critical thought. It can't happen. It's impossible. Your minds are not connected. And if they are connected, you're not thinking critically. This propaganda technique acts upon men collectively, the passions it provokes, which exist in everybody. (laughs) Yes, they do. They're amplified. When you join a mob, your passions are amplified. You get a little more outrage, don't you? It's funny because the people who aren't part of this mob, part of this collective, the exhausted majority that Chris and I and, and Rich like to talk about, they don't tend to get as outraged about things as people who are either, you know, <laughs> lining up at the punch bowl in Trump Town or loyal adherence to the Green Tea Party. Funny how that happens, isn't it? As soon as you join the group in the mob, poof, your passions explode. But you still think you think critically. Another theme goes all the way through it, man. Suppression of the critical faculty, critical thought. Man's growing incapacity to distinguish truth from falsehood. The individual from the collectivity. This is important. I'm going re- to say this again. The suppression of the critical thought. Man's growing incapacity to distinguish truth from falsehood. That sounds familiar, huh? The individual from the collectivity. The individual from the collective. The inability to distinguish the individual from the group. Action from talk. You think you're taking action when all you're doing is talking. Oh, this is the scourge of social media, isn't it? Couch-bound verbal activists. Couch-bound, (laughs) text-bound activists. I'm a virtual activist. I'm an online activist. No, you're not. You can't distinguish action from talk anymore. You think triggering somebody else is really doing something other than creating the boomerang effect. Does this sound familiar to you? This is why I, 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 it's so hugely important. Like Nostradamus or something. Where was I? Oh, reality. You can't tell reality from statistics. (laughs) And so on and so forth. He says, this is one of the most evident results of the technological power of propaganda. Human intelligence cannot, and this is hugely important, human intelligence cannot resist propaganda's manipulation of its subconscious. You cannot resist it. If you are engulfed and uh, drowning in it, swimming in it, your subconscious cannot resist it. 
I've said a hundred times, the only prophylactic here is abstinence. <laughs> There's no way. I found this myself, man. I, this has happened to me. I 1,000% I, I believe that. Because when, even when I'm out, uh, you know, out in the living room, flipping through these channels, I feel it hitting me. Even if I'm trying to stay clinical about it, it still hits me. This is how I got sucked into that disinformation last month. Because I'm seeing it. I'm in it. Abstinence is the only way to protect your mind. Go watch Ren and Stimpy. Get your information from a disconnected source. I, you know, I'd like to think the BBC. You know, that's the one that comes to mind. I know a lot of you think NPR. NPR is a propaganda outlet. Sociological propaganda. It's propaganda for fart sniffers. Hi, welcome to the delicious dish. I'm your host, Todd. That's what NPR is. It has to follow the money. They take donations. How many hardcore conservatives do you know that listen to NPR because it's objective? But they are a propaganda outlet. It's one of those kinds of propaganda that I was talking about, rational propaganda versus irrational propaganda. Sean Hannity, not an expert yet, but I would classify him as an irrational propagandist, a firebrand. Right? Whereas NPR and Rachel Maddow and others use rational propaganda. It's complex, man. It's not just lies. If you have that in your head that propaganda is just lies... (laughs) you're in a world of shit. One of the most potent aspects of this, and this goes back to Goebbels, he would not let his people lie in Nazi propaganda. If you did lie and the people found out about it, the public found out that the propaganda was just a bold-faced lie, there was a chance among anyone who wasn't a hardcore adherent to the party that they would never listen to another thing you said. Ah, you're thinking of Trump, aren't you? He's betting on the base, and he, I think he has set a wager that the other side, the alternative, as I said in the open, has become so distasteful, he's betting on the boomerang. And he's also using xenophobia. He's probably also dog-whistling racism. Latent racism, suppressed racism that's never went away. You can't eradicate racism. But you made it an issue now. Calling everyone a racist. You've opened the door just as much as he has. <laughs> I know you don't see that. Oh my God, no, we haven't. We're going to just try to build your tummy. You don't understand. You don't understand the boomerang. You're going to be called a racist anyway. You may as well let the dog out the cage, right? I'm telling you, he is either, (laughs) he's either a fox or he's very instinctive or he has somebody behind him that understands this shit better than you do. I don't know what it is. Moving on. (sighs) Second effect of propaganda, he says, is a good social conscience appears with the suppression of critical thought. Now, I explained this once before, but for the new listener, A good social conscience doesn't mean that you're a good citizen. When he says a good social conscience in this context, he means that you think (laughs) you're a good person. 
I'm on the side of right. Self-righteousness. A good social conscience. A, a consciousness coming from the perspective that I am good. And that appears with the suppression of uh, critical thought. Propaganda technique provides justification to everybody and gives all men the conviction that their actions are just, good, and in the spirit of truth. Everybody is justified. Justified in the convictions that their actions are just, good, and in the spirit of truth. This conviction is the stronger because it is collectively shared. You're part of the group. It's reinforced by your buddies. They'll always support you. They'll always reinforce that you are just good and in the spirit of truth. The individual finds the same conviction in his fellow workers and neighbors and feels himself strengthened in it through the implicit communion of media. In his days, such as radio. Nowadays, social media. The echo chambers. In countries where propaganda technique is exploited, there is a decrease. This is interesting to me. There is a decrease in neurosis as well as in crime. <laughs> we can believe the wartime statistics of the Nazis and the Americans because they fit so well with everything else we know. Crime and psychological problems went down in Nazi Germany and in the United States during World War II. There was a cause. <laughs> Conversely, wherever for some reason propaganda technique fails to instill a good collective social conscience, self-righteousness on the side of God, there is a sudden and brutal collapse of the sense of individual justification and individual morale falls drastically. This is anime. A lack of purpose. A lack of that larger thing to fight for. You're no longer an individual who can exist as an individual. You've got to have a cause. You've got to have a group. This ties in, eventually, to the need for propaganda. That is one of the most terrifying sections of this book. Probably won't get to that today, but eventually I will. He says this, among other things, would explain the extraordinary increase in neurosis in the United States after 1945. Quick word on neurosis. This was written in 1965. It was a blanket term for a lot of things we're familiar with today, like anxiety. Something wrong with you, <laughs> right? We know what a lot of these things are. That term has, I think, in my understanding anyway, as I understand it, the term has been pretty much extracted from the field of psychology. And it's more specific now, specific conditions. Anxiety was a big one. I do remember that. I don't have the rest of them listed here, but that's what he means when he says neurosis. Not only the United States after 1945, but a similar situation among the Germans may have other explanations. But he was convinced that the sudden halting of the Nazi propaganda machine played a significant role in uh, German post-war neurosis. He says the problem in the United States was so serious that it led to a dramatic development of the uh, psychoanalytic therapy industry in the 50s. This development in reality represents a resumption on an individual level of the activity which collective propaganda technique had abandoned. And he says here, when a good collective social conscience has been created, a sense of self-righteousness, an individual becomes addicted to it as to a drug. 
Number three, propaganda technique, moreover, uh, creates a new sphere of the sacred. I went into this uh, last week. Boy. Yeah, we're, we're swimming in that. As this Monero guy puts it, when an entire category of events, beings, and ideas is outside criticism, always believe women, it constitutes sacred realm. As a result of the profound influence of the mechanisms of propaganda, a new zone of the forbidden is created in the heart of man. A new zone of the forbidden. Who can't you criticize now? Who must you criticize now? Who can't you defend anymore? I'm not leading the witness. I'm just asking questions here. Go back and listen to the previous podcast. I think I may have some examples in there for you. But, as he says, it's artificially induced. In contrast to the taboos of primitive societies, whatever that means. Uh, He says, where there is propaganda, we are no longer able to evaluate certain questions. This is huge. Where there is propaganda, we are no longer able to evaluate certain questions or even discuss them. This is academia today. Gender study. You can't even question this postmodern theory of gender. You can't do it. This is part of the problem that we're seeing on the college campuses these days. They will not let anyone come in and discuss without protest, without being shouted down certain topics, because the religion has deemed certain tenets, certain scriptures as sacred. That's a big one. A series of protective reflexes organized by propaganda technique immediately intervenes when this realm of the sacred is violated. Next, he says that uh, his analysis confirms the creation of the masses. Creation of the mob. Creation of groupthink. These three uh, elements add a new dimension, the three that I've just mentioned, add a uh, new dimension to the masses. The masses thereby gain an internal cohesion they did not possess naturally. A new organism, a new political organism. I think we're experiencing this as echo chambers. I think we're experiencing this as the ideological religion thing that I like to talk about. Crystallization, stuff like that. Second consequence of the application of propaganda techniques is the creation of a kind of (laughs) manipulability of the masses. Monroe gives a definition worth repeating, he says. Propaganda technique has for its object the production and cultivation among the masses of certain predispositions and a special facility for doing, at a given moment, whatever is strategically opportune. This is going to be a common theme. Remember that. I'll repeat it. Has for its object the production and cultivation among the masses inside the mob, inside of the echo chamber, among the faithful. Certain predispositions and a special facility for doing at a given moment whatever is strategically opportune. Manchurian activists. Political circumstances change. It is necessary at intervals to cultivate successive predispositions. They poke and prod you in different directions. Back to Alul, he says this is a remarkable notion. You think the use of certain propaganda techniques is not meant to entail immediate and definitive 
adhesion to a given formula, but rather to bring about a kind of a long-range vacuity of the individual. Hollowing out the individual, the man, and replacing it with ideological ejaculate. A Manchurian activist who is no longer himself. He is what someone else has created in his place. I love that phrase, vacuity of the individual. A zombie. The individual, his soul massaged, (laughs) emptied of his natural tendencies, who he is, and then thoroughly assimilated to the group, is ready for anything. Propaganda's chief requirement is not so much to be rational, well-grounded, and powerful as it is to produce individuals especially open to suggestion who can easily, easily be set into motion. Easily reactionary, outraged, provoked. Oh, the outrage. They can be manipulated to set Twitter ablaze. Cancel somebody. I'm sorry. You're not canceling people. You're burning them at the cultural stake, huh? If they're not sufficiently pure. How far has this come? Good God. The individual, his soul massaged, repeating this, emptied of his natural tendencies and thoroughly assimilated to the group, ready for anything. Propaganda's chief requirement is not so much to be rational, well-grounded, and powerful as it is to produce individuals especially open to suggestion who can be easily set into motion. Triggered. Two categories of propaganda must be distinguished. First strives to create a permanent disposition in its objects and constantly needs to be reinforced. Its goal is to make the masses available by working spells upon them and exercising a kind of fascination. (laughs) Sounds like hypnosis. And the second category involves the creation of a sort of temporary impulsiveness in its objects. Operates by simple pressure and is often contradictory. This is huge. (laughs) Jesus, this is going to sound... Prophetic. It operates by simple pressure and is often contradictory since contradictory mass movements are sometimes necessary. Of course, this <laughs> dissociation, there's going to be a lot more on dissociation coming, can be effective only after the propaganda technique has been completely fused with the popular mores and has become indispensable to the population. They can only get you to act counter to yourself when the propaganda has been completely fused with the popular mores and has become indispensable to the population. We have long since passed that mark. Propaganda is indispensable to us now. Try to take somebody away from it. Try to pull somebody away from their HuffPo or their Blaze or their Hannity or their Meadow. That ship sailed. Stage may be reached quickly, as for example in Germany in 1942, after only 10 years of psychic manipulation. The same result seems to have been obtained in the Soviet Union, where the masses have been conditioned to the fluctuations of the party line. 
A third consequence of technical propaganda manipulations is the creation of an absolute... Oh, good God, here we go. <laughs> a third consequence of the uh, technical propaganda manipulation is the creation of an abstract universe representing a complete reconstruction of reality in the mind of its citizens. <gasps> oh. And guess what? The new universe is a verbal universe. Would you like me to repeat that too? I don't care. I'm going to. <laughs> Creation of an abstract universe representing a complete reconstruction of reality in the mind of its citizens. The new universe is a verbal universe. <laughs> Men fashion images of things. Oh. Men fashion images of things, events, and people which may not reflect reality, but are truer than reality in their minds. These images are based on news items which, as is the case in much of the world, are faked. Fake news. Men fashion images of things, events, and people which may not reflect reality, <laughs> but which are truer to them than reality is. <sighs> Kids in cages. Are they? Is that the reality? Nope, but the image in your head of that precious child in a doggy pen is truer to you than the reality that they're in a detention center at the border. Are they really in concentration camps? <laughs> of course not. Of course not. But in your head, in your twisted, propagandized little mind, your manipulated mind, the ejaculate dripping from the inside of your skull is making that image in your head more real than reality. You are a Manchurian activist at this point. Sorry. It's true. And yes, it's on the other side, too. Caravans, right? Remember the caravans, the illegal caravan of illegals bringing death and disease from Central America? Of course it's on the others. It's all over the place. Murderers and rapists. MS-13. Yeah. It's everywhere. Their purpose is to form rather than to inform. That's hugely important. The purpose is to form an image, form an idea, rather than to inform about reality. This is also indicative of an important element in today's psychology. Back in 1965, again, the disappearance of reality in a world of hallucinations. Man will be led to act from real motives that are scientifically directed and increasingly irresistible. He will be brought to sacrifice himself in a real world, but for the sake of the verbal universe, which has been fashioned for him. We must try to grasp the profundity of this upheaval. How profound is that? That you will, be a, you will be brought to sacrifice yourself in the real world. Sacrifice something in the real world. I'm actually thinking about our Uncle Tom um, feminists. 
that you will be brought to sacrifice, demean, strip your dignity away. There are many ways to sacrifice yourself. For the sake of the verbal universe that has been fashioned for you. Profound? Yeah. You think? The man acts in a dream. He seeks other ends, those the incantational magic of propaganda proposes for him. He seeks other ends than those he will really attain. The ends he is expected to reach are known only to the manipulators of the mass subconscious and to them alone. I'm thinking of these folks now who are thinking the end is going to be a, a good and just utopia. Oh, an equitable society where all men are equal. Are you sure about that? Are you sure that's the goal? Because it's never worked out that way. Ever. And I'm sure some of you are going to relate to this. <laughs> At this point, the reader will protest that our analysis may apply to others, but not to him. <laughs> but if he listens regularly to the radio, reads the newspapers, goes to the movies, the description does fit him in 1965. If you consume any sort of media in 2019, that description probably does fit you. Probably does me too. It does all of us. He will not be aware of it because the essence of propaganda is to act upon the human subconscious, but to leave them in the illusion of complete freedom. The objection will be raised in another vein that some countries do not exploit these propagandistic manipulatory devices. We don't do it. They do, but we don't do it. For example, the democracies in general. And he, he singles us out, the United States in particular. As the present global struggle intensifies between communism, capitalism, the U.S. and the Soviet Union back then, and world domination by one nation or another becomes inevitable, we won. The utilization of propaganda by the democracies will also become inevitable. The high priests of efficiency will not recoil before the use of an instrument as efficient as propaganda the more so because it fits the tenor of their culture and no longer shocks anyone's humanitarian, in quotes, sentiments. When once the masses have become inured to the practices of propaganda techniques, it is impossible to turn back. There's no sausage party hope here, kids. I'm, I'm sorry, were, were you thinking this had a happy ending? I apologize. Where did you get that idea? Send them to me. Whoever told you that, you send them my way. I'll take care of that for you. We hear constantly that it cannot, therefore, be of any harm to the democracy's propaganda. <laughs> After all, there are a plurality of political parties employing propaganda to maintain opposing or even contradictory ideas. Hmm. The citizen has a free choice among them. Yes. Such a misapprehension comes from a frighteningly elementary conception of propaganda. If you believe that, you are a child. You have no idea what you're dealing with. Propaganda is not the defense of an idea, but the manipulation of the mob's subconscious. 
Propaganda is not the defense of an idea, but the manipulation of the mob's subconscious. Mind-fucking. Mind-crime. This is a great analogy here. The hope in the contradiction of propaganda boils down to this. The citizen receives a blow in the face from his neighbor on the right, which, fortunately, he is compensated for by another blow from his neighbor on the left. If propaganda involved calm exposition of political theories, among which the citizen might choose intelligently, contradictions would be beneficial and would leave the citizen a free man. But this is an impossibility. From the moment the propagandist possesses material means for exerting action on the mob and knowledge of the secret recesses of the human psyche. The moment the propagandist possesses material means for exerting action on the mob, that is the mass media. This is 1965 that he's talking about here. He had no concept of this, of the internet, of global instant connectivity. The man who upholds a political theory presumably believes in it, right? Sure. I take the case of a politician who acts from conviction and not from personal interest. A good guy. An idealistic politician. Not out to, you know, make a career out of it. He really wants to do the right thing. He wants to be a good citizen. He wants to lead the people to a better place, right? He wants to represent his district. He will indeed strive to present his convictions in the best possible light and to secure the adherence of the greatest number of his fellow citizens. Right? He wants to win. He wants to promote his ideas. To do this, he will, of course, make use of the most efficient means. So, like any totalitarian, he will proceed to rape the mob propagandistically. And mind rape remains mind rape, even if it's done by ten political parties ten times in a row. Altering the outward form does not alter the substance. Mind-fucking is mind-fucking. That's key. There's also effects on uh, democracy in other ways. The elimination of all minor parties, boiling it down to a binary. (laughs) Uh, Eliminate them completely, reduce them to (laughs) the shadowy role of hangers-on. Hi, libertarians. (laughs) How you doing over there? (laughs) We're not hangers. Yeah, you are. Barely that. American democracy is no longer in its youth when propaganda consisted of one man speaking directly to other men. And the individual forced to submit to contradictory streams of propaganda not only is incapable of preserving freedom of choice, of choosing between different doctrines, but is eliminated from the political operation completely. He literally no longer exists. And this comes about in proportion to the contradictoriness of the propaganda. He's integrated into a sociological group and votes as the group votes. Oh, did you twitch there? The individual forced to submit to contradictory streams of propaganda not only is incapable of preserving freedom of choice, right, of choosing between different doctrines, but is eliminated from the political operation completely. It's going to twist your noodle. He literally no longer exists, and this comes about in proportion to the contradictoriness of the propaganda. He's integrated into a sociological group and votes as the group votes. 
I saw an example of this today. Andrew Sullivan came out, posted something on Twitter, something reprehensible about Trump. And I don't remember exactly what it was. And the first comment, I think in the thread, read, so you're going to vote for anybody who's not Trump, right? Whoever it is, you're going to vote for them because they're not Trump, right? That is not freedom of choice. You can call it whatever you want. But you're out of the political process. If you can't vote for him, you must vote for How are you having a choice here? I can't vote for him. This is the only other choice. You're not involved in, <laughs> you're not involved in the political process. How are you politically involved if you have to choose between Hitler and Stalin? How? Imagine that. Would you feel yourself involved in a vibrant democracy if you had to choose between Hitler and Stalin? Not the kind of country you won't live in. To the degree that propaganda is a technique, and it is a technique, it has its own personal identity and specificity. But it acts towards an unalterably fixed end. And it is mere vanity to wish to distinguish a technique as good or bad according to its end. It just is. Doesn't matter if it's good or bad. It does not matter. Mind-fucking is mind-fucking. Maybe you really love the girl. If you're raping her, you're raping her. You're mind-fucking somebody, you're mind-fucking somebody. Doesn't matter what your intentions are. Doesn't matter the goodness of your heart. You're manipulating someone, you are manipulating them. Then he wraps this part up saying, we must distinguish between two planes here. The formal opinion and the personal decision. Formal opinion and personal decision. Through propaganda, we can train a man not to kill or not to drink alcohol, or we can train him to kill or to smoke opium. Right? The objective result is different in either case. Sociologically, there is admittedly a world of difference between dictatorship and democracy, but in both, the moral problem is suppressed. The individual is simply an animal broken in to obey certain and conditioned reflexes beasts of intellectual burden water carriers and so on and so the fuck forth that's number one and that's just a nugget that's just a little nugget there (laughs) I'll bet you'd love to hear about partitioning huh Maybe a little bit of the identity politics thing, how that works, huh? We'll go a little long today.
You know, that's a guy that I could have done. I, I could have stood to have him for another 20 years, man. I'm petty. Jam and me, you're listening to the Escaping the Cave podcast, ChristopherMedia.net network. Also, uh, check out my website at uh, escapingthecave.com at ETCPod on Twitter. This stuff's pretty thick today, so I figured I'd bring the uh, <laughs> musical interlude. Give you a little bit of a break uh, back before we jump into this next section, because uh, this I think most people are intimately familiar with uh, by now. Partitioning into groups. See, I assumed, wrongly, that uh, the tribalism that we've been experiencing uh, was... I initially thought it was due to technology, walling ourselves off into these echo chambers, but only because of the, the technological aspect of this, right? And heading back to 1965, talking about this book, Propaganda by Jacques Ellul, sort of giving a dissertation on the damn thing, I guess. Uh, he talks about partitioning of groups. He calls it partitioning. Partitioning of society. And he starts with the media. He calls it the fallacious character of intellectual communication media. <laughs> and how they don't bring people together. Oh, no. They're a source of division. Now, we're all real familiar with that. The tribalism, the echo chambers, the dehumanization as well. Dehumanizing the other groups. Elevating yourself upon a pedestal. Common themes, man. Moral puritanism and fanaticism as well. The purity. The moral certainty of the in-group while the out-group. Oh, they're evil. Terrible. They must go. They must convert or die. And uh, everybody's susceptible to this. you got to keep this in mind. I know you think you're not. I know. But you are. We all are. And everybody's also satisfied with the propaganda of his own group. This is another trait. You don't see your own propaganda. The propaganda you like, you don't see that as propaganda. You like it. You agree with it. So therefore, it's just some truth bombs being dropped. The other guy's propaganda, on the other hand, though. Oh, that's just terrible. Oh my God, how can they believe that? The thing is, that they're saying the same thing about you, and you know what? <laughs> You're both right. This was really interesting. I extracted this out of the book. Is they did some studies of old radio shows. Maybe the 50s, early 60s. I don't remember when. Uh, but these were shows that were sort of like the public service things that you hear maybe 5 o'clock on a Sunday morning. Hey, they're airing right now. These are shows that were designed to promote cultural diversity. You know, like understanding, tolerance, you know, promoting contributions by various groups. And back then, they found that each broadcast was listened to by the ethnic group in question. You know, the Irish would listen to the broadcast about the Irish people <laughs> and very few others. A communist press consumed by communists. Protestants by Protestants. Right? And the effect of this was interesting. Those digesting the material about their own group constantly reinforced in their allegiance to it. They hear it so they internalize it more and more that their group is right. In quotes. That their group's actions are justified and their beliefs are strengthened by it. They're listening to propaganda about themselves. Or uh, something like that. And the same propaganda that criticizes and refutes other groups never heard or read by a member of the other group. 
put this into modern day times, right? No Democrat, hardly any Democrats will go over and listen to Sean Hannity. How many conservatives do you think listen to Rachel Maddow or Chris Matthews or Chris Hayes? <laughs> oh, there's one for you, Chris Hayes. Oh, Chris. Oh, that's right, Chris. Oof. How many do you really, do you go and watch Fox News if you're a liberal? I don't know how many liberals I have left. So, you guys, do you go see what Rachel's up to every night? See what thoughtful opinions and insights she might have? Of course you don't. But the criticisms now of the out-group is heard by those inside the group expressing it. Demonization. Dehumanization. And the result, of course, is that people ignore each other more and more. They stop altogether to be open to an exchange of reason, arguments, points of view. The, the, the obvious social media parallel screams here. This is the echo chamber. Now, it doesn't address the competing bullshit phenomenon. A trial by recycled propaganda. Now, this was before everybody had a megaphone and a platform. And instant access to go, you know, attack each other. It was a much simpler time back then. But this explains the echo chamber effect. People don't want to hear about the other, the good things about the other guys. They just want to hear the good things about their group and then the bad things about everybody else. It, it makes you wonder, and I've wondered this out loud before, much to the chagrin of my former resistance buddies, and maybe people aren't really that keen on diversity. Maybe people just don't want it. Maybe people want to congregate amongst themselves and not have to deal with other people, other kinds of people. This is one of those things when we're talking about the realm of the sacred. You can't discuss that in liberal circles. Oh my God, I can't believe you're criticizing diversity. What's wrong with you? Oh my God. This diversity is brought by God. What if deep down at their core, people don't want to deal with other kinds of people? I have a really hard time, and this may be the cynic in me, but I've asked people before. I've really tried to get at it. I've tried to dig beneath the, the public relations facade. You know, the marketing and branding, the personal branding that people like to do. I pull them aside, have an individual one-on-one -on -one conversation. Man, do you really believe that people are really like that? And they always take this air. Yes, I just love diversity. I love cultural diversity. I don't believe it. I think you like how that looks on you. Now, if I don't think deep down inside, I'm skeptical. I wonder about that. I mean, if you look at this, the studies they were doing back yonder way, back in the 50s and 60s, it would indicate similar things to what we're seeing today. That people don't like people out of their group. The partitioning of society. Isolating yourselves off into identity groups. Creating this little thing we call identity politics. Yes, it goes both ways. It's on both sides. White guys have it too. Yeah, this is Echo Chamber circa 1965. The double whammy of propaganda reinforcing the excellence 
of one's own group and the evilness or substandard goodness of the other. Partitioning of society, multiple levels here, religious, political parties, ideology. He expands it out to nations. There's an interesting thought here, an interesting concept here, and something that's very dangerous when you start attacking patriotism. Because you can partition societies by nation. It gives a cohesion within the society. You start attacking patriotism and nationalism. I have talked about this. The cohesion, the glue or the the cement holding the bricks together starts to collapse. And so do other things. Back in his day, it was even blocks of nations. Soviet bloc. But these levels, according to Jacques Ellul, in no way change the basic law. And the basic law, according to him, is this. The more propaganda there is, the more partitioning there is. For propaganda suppresses conversation, interaction, rhetorical intercourse. The man opposite is no longer an interlocutor, but an enemy. He's not a conversation partner anymore. Oh no, he's an intruder. He's not someone you're learning from. He's someone that must be converted or expelled. And to the extent that he rejects that role, the other becomes an unknown whose words can no longer be understood. Oh, does this sound familiar to you? I don't understand how they can say that. Thus, we see before our eyes how a world of closed minds establishes itself, a world in which everybody talks to himself. Everybody constantly reviews his own certainty about himself and the wrongs done him by the others. Does this sound the fuck familiar to you? A world in which nobody listens to anybody else. Everybody talks and nobody listens. Written in 1965. How much worse is it today than it was then? And what role does social media play in that? What to hell with social media? Technology in general. It broadcasts television. Or what he termed, how did he phrase that fallacious character of the intellectual communication media? If he thought that was divisive in 1965, what is this? This is carving us up into little chunks. This could be, could be, just could be. What's causing (laughs) the identity politics scourge? Maybe it is, you know, the political parties. But maybe the political parties are responding to the partitioning of society phenomenon caused by their own propaganda. Maybe this is how we get lesbian bikers who are left-handed with red hair and sleep until 8 o'clock in the morning, how they get their own special interest, or they demand their own special interest. Because the more propaganda there is, the more partitioning there is. And he finishes this line by saying, the more one talks, the more one isolates oneself because the more one accuses others and justifies himself. Yeah, echo chambers are not solely a result of technology. 
The partitioning is a side effect of being immersed in one's own preferred propaganda, becoming certain of quote-unquote right, becoming self-righteous, convinced of its message, fanatical about its message, therefore one's own righteousness. And in this day of hyper-partitioning, identity politics, the status of oneself as a victim, the wrongs done to him by others, status of oneself as a victim who's entitled to justice, Subjectively interpreted by the victim, of course. Or vengeance. He continues to say that partitioning is not in conflict with public opinion. It affects opinion, transcends the groups in which it operates. (sighs) Maintains its effectiveness towards the mass of undecided who do not yet belong to a group. This is good. Because you can direct the propaganda to specific groups, but it also has a side effect, a residual effect on people who reside in the middle, who still haven't decided anything but hear it. A lot more on that coming at some point, I think. And it's possible to affect those who belong to a group of a different sort as well. Communist propaganda that will not affect a militant socialist might affect, say, a Protestant. American propaganda that will not affect a Frenchman as a Frenchman, might influence the Frenchman with regard to capitalism or the liberal system. It doesn't just stop at the intended target. And he's talking about the Soviet Union and the United States, the communist and uh, capitalist conflict that was going on in the mid-60s. It said, with uh, respect to the two current power blocks, where neither side is superior, I highlighted this because it reminds me of our current state in this country between liberals and conservatives, where neither side is superior, propaganda can only have the effect of increasingly separating them. Because neither side's dominant. Neither side's winning. So rather than one side suppressing the other, the gulf between them just continues to widen. Those groups are isolated. They don't listen to each other's propaganda. Each can make contradictory claims. (laughs) Who's going to hold them accountable? Who's going to hold Trump accountable when he contradicts himself with alternate facts? Nobody. And the liberals, you do the same damn things. You're not going to hold hair hopey change Obama. You weren't holding him to the same standard you're going to hold the other guy to. You didn't hold Bill Clinton to the same standard. That's just a blowjob. It's not perjury. Well, why were you trying to get Trump to... Okay. Perjury's perjury, right? Are you saying that if Mr. Trump was getting a Hummer in the Oval Office and he lied about it, you wouldn't be just demanding he be brought to justice for high crimes and misdemeanors? Of course you would. Don't just shut up. Of course you would. Everybody knows it. You even know it. You just don't want to admit it. It's okay. You don't have to. You're off the hook. Propaganda also increases separation because everyone stops speaking the language of the others. <laughs> no communication remains, man. Different sets of words, facts, alternative facts for different people. I mean, this is, this is prophetic. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm taking this from 1965. It could have been written this week. The bases of judgment are diverse. Factual orientations are opposite. there is no longer a meeting point within the confines of the same propaganda. I should repeat that. The bases of judgment are diverse. Factual orientations are opposite. Different factual universes. 
There is no longer a meeting point within the confines of the same propaganda. And finally, the propaganda scientifically, not spontaneously, the propaganda scientifically develops dividing lines, establishes a psychological separation between groups. It's done under, quote, a common collective cloak of unreality and verbal fiction. A common collective cloak of unreality and verbal fiction, like euphemisms. Children engage as word napping, fascist, racist, communist. Well, yeah, using fascist. You don't even know what the hell it means. Just it's another word for totalitarian or something you don't like. It's been going on since the 40s. Fascism is probably, or fascist, is probably the most word nap word that I can think of. Plenty of others. Racist is coming. It doesn't mean anything anymore to call someone a racist. Everybody's a racist now. Anybody who criticizes a member of the squad, the sacred cows, anybody who criticizes them is a racist. Really? I think that may be the verbal fiction to which Mr. Alul referred. I don't know. Again, alternate factual universes. Your propaganda is truth. Theirs is the propaganda. And on that second point, I'm going to say this again. You're both right. (laughs) Theirs is propaganda. Neither group will accept or even be able to recognize that they've been propagandized, manipulated, and inseminated. These are important points. You will not recognize it. The group being propagandized will not recognize how they've been propagandized. The propagandee does not know he's a propagandee. They'll always perceive themselves as being on their own organic and, more importantly, righteous path of reason toward truth. But almost comically, will be able to see it in the quote-unquote other. You'll be able to see what's also glaringly clear to the other in themselves. You have to be able to look at the other guy, right? The ridiculousness of the propaganda that they're ingesting and the word soup salad, they're regurgitating. And you have to be able to understand that when they look at you, they see the same thing, and you're both right. Good luck with that. It's a common refrain throughout everything, from Alul to height. We are the absolute worst judges of how deeply we ourselves are swimming in propaganda and ecocentric happy facts. We are the worst judges of it in ourselves. I experience this firsthand, embarrassingly and shamefully. I get, (laughs) you know, the Facebook memories that pop up. I get reminded of that at least once a week. I'm actually happy about that. I'm happy that I can come in here and get smacked in the face with something that I said six years ago. It helps. I don't like it. I'm never going to show it to anybody else. But it does help. And it's essential, I think, as a first step uh, to quietly, privately, and firmly. This is me talking now. I'm done with the lul for now. But essential is a first step to quietly, privately, and firmly withdraw from the ideological church. You've got to excommunicate yourselves. You have to detach. You have to get your dog out of the fucking fight. Your identity has to be detached from the ideological church. 
Stop the reflexive virtual uh, scripture readings. Turn off the televangelists. Rachel Meadow. Or Hannity. Chris Matthews. Whoever. And take as much time as you need to do that. To separate your identity from the adopted political cult. The detachment is key. I was reading some book. It might have been the Jefferson book. It might have been something else. But they were talking about uh, de Tocqueville. He's the author of um, Democracy in America, like the 1830s, right? French guy. He came over here, the height of slavery. American democracy was young but growing. The country had promise. He wanted to come over here and do sort of a walk about a tour and write about it, write about the United States. And somebody wrote that he could effectively do this because he was detached. He didn't care. He was seeing with dispassionate eyes. And that's how he was able to write this classic. It's sort of a snapshot of the 1830s in the United States. You can do this better than Twain because Twain had a talk in the fight, right? Later on. Well, one of the things that sticks out to me, I haven't been able to get all the way through that book. It's thick. But he was talking about slavery in in the 1830s. It's quite a bit of time before abolition had occurred yet. And he could see, better than we could, that white people here in this country were terrified of blacks. They were terrified that black people were going to rise up and pay them the fuck back. I have not seen anybody else write about that from that era or that time. I, did not, I, I don't think, maybe you can correct me. If you, if you know of someone, I'd love to read about it, but he's the only one that I've ever heard from that era that talked about white fear, fear of cosmic justice, or at least earthly revenge for the institution of slavery. And I think he could do that because he was detached. He didn't have the dog in the fight. He didn't give a shit. A lot of other people have talked about that. John Stuart Mill, that's one of the things he talks about in On Liberty, is detaching yourself from caring what happens? <laughs> or maybe not, not detaching yourself from caring what happens, but getting your identity separated from the outcome. This comes back to reclaiming your individuality and not being part of that group. Because that's when you can start thinking critically. If you're part of the group, critical thought's gone. The only way to think critically is to think independently. And you cannot think independently if you're part of a group. I know that's a revolutionary thought these days. You know, I, I remember Joe Biden. I think it was at John McCain's funeral last year. was talking about becoming, becoming part of something bigger than yourself. He is full of shit. You want to help some people out? Fine. Keep your individuality. It's the only way. It's the only thing you got, man. Where is this thing? I'm going to save this. You're going to hear this again. You're going to hear this again. I, I, I printed this up for something else that I've got coming. I think this is a pretty good quote to go out on. There's a time in every man's education when he arrives with the conviction that envy is ignorance, that imitation is suicide, that he must take himself for better or worse as his portion. 
that no kernel of nourishing corn can come to him but through the toil bestowed on that plot of ground which is given to him to till. The power which resides in him is new to nature, and none but he knows what that is, which he can do, nor does he know, until he is tried. But we half express ourselves and are ashamed of that divine idea which each of us represents. God will not have his work made manifest by cowards. What all that means is, think for yourself, that your mind is unique to nature, your perspective, your interpretation, your, the way you think originally, organically, without anybody else telling you, without me telling you, without him telling you, without being poked and prodded and guided, propagandized, manipulated. What you can come up with is original to nature. It's a one of a kind. And you don't know what that is. You do not have any idea what that thing is until you try. And you can't try until you start taking control of your own independent thought. And that's hard. Especially once you've started, once you've joined that group, and once you become addicted to that propaganda, that self-righteousness, it's really difficult to let that go. It's almost impossible to let that go. It, does, it has effects. I'll get to those. It's not easy. But that's, that's who you are. It's who you are as an individual. And you can't get there with somebody else's static, somebody else spray-painting the inside of your mind. It's got to come from you. And God will not have, however you understand him. I love this line. I may actually print this up, like for my wall. God will not have his work made manifest by cowards. Intellectual suicide is the real tragedy of meekly surrendering to the propaganda mind crime. I invite you to stand the fuck up, coward. Find out exactly who the fuck you are. This is a real podcast today, boys and girls. I do have women that listen to this podcast. I'm surprised. How do I know that? I'm not going to tell you. I just do. There aren't many. <laughs> so that's just the tip, man. Seriously, I'm not even kidding. That's two little pieces. I have uh, probably another five already uh, notes already typed up. And I have an entire section. The most, the creepiest part of this book is the alienation part. And when he says alienation, surrendering yourself to someone else. Vacating your own mind and having it filled with someone else. That, the dissociation, and the need for propaganda stuff is incredibly creepy. <sighs> I don't look forward to passing that along to you. It should scare you. EscapingTheCave.com. You can also get me at uh, ChristopherMedia.net. That's Chris's network. And uh, over at ETC Pod on Twitter. If, if you dare, if you're going to comment, please don't be a doofus, okay? Thank you. Till next time, so long. <laughs>